All right, so if you have a Bible, turn with me to the book of Revelations. We are continuing on this Revelation path, and it doesn't actually get any easier. Uh, it's just been one hard-hitting chapter after another. And when you get into this, at this point, you're like, what do we do? Like, what's going on here? We, it's hard. And then guess what? It gets hard, and then it's still hard. Okay, and so this text, we're going to cover Revelation chapter 14 through chapter 15, verse 4. And, and this text is, is hard, like I, I mentioned. But it's interesting, John kind of gives us an out a little bit here of like, why are we hearing about all this difficulty, all this suffering, all this wrath? And John tells us, if you have your Bible, turn with me to Revelation 14, verse 12. It says this, here is a call for the endurance of the saints, those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And it's this picture of a reminder, in a sense, that we are going to win. In Jesus, we win. It's him who we believe in. And through him, we win. And so when you see these things coming down the pipe time and time again, we know in the back of our heads that we win. That Christ is king, he is Lord. Nothing thwarts him, nothing changes his plan. God wins. And it's this reminder for us that helps us endure. And the Lord doesn't sugarcoat anything in Revelation. I don't, I don't know if you've picked up on that yet. It is, it is intense. It is bad news. And it's not something to take lightly. I don't want us to take it lightly because of the amount of, of difficult things that have gone in. And I don't know if you're like me, but after a while of kind of repetition and intensity, I, I kind of, I, I have a tendency to kind of check out. I don't get this. I just want to just step over here. Yup, it's there. I'm just going to go there. And maybe you're not like me, but that's, it's easy to kind of disengage. But I see in Revelation chapter 14 and this first part of 15, like a lot that can uh, impact us even today. Like there's this call to endure in the time of Revelation, in the time when these sweeping, drastic things are happening. But, there, but the question that I would have for us here today is, how are you doing at enduring right now? Certainly, the beast hasn't been revealed, and the second beast doesn't seem to be out and about doing his thing of deceiving. But, like, how are you doing with some of the trials and the struggles that you're going through? Um, a lot of us, are, our lives are marked by suffering. It's difficult. We got into marriage thinking that this is going to be awesome, marital bliss, and then two weeks passed, and we're like, I don't think this is what I was thinking it was going to be. And, and, and we, we suffer. We suffer in those relationships that we care so much about. They're hard. And so you can talk about marriage a lot, but some of you are in jobs, that there's an element of suffering there. There's an element of the unknown, where you, you can't control what is going on around your place of work. Or perhaps you're caught up in the, the politics and the economics of the world today. And perhaps that's bringing some fear, some anxiety into your life, and you're suffering because of those things. How, how's your endurance? And when I think of endurance, I always, I always go to like this picture of a runner running a marathon. I don't know why on earth anyone would do that. I want to know, I want you to know they've invented the wheel. Okay, it's round it goes a little bit faster, right? But when I think of endurance, I think of those guys out running and running and running. And it isn't so much only the race in which they accomplish or attempt to accomplish 26.2 miles. It's the fact they started prepping for this months in advance. They altered how they slept. They changed their diet. They practiced. They ran almost up to 20-some miles regularly before doing this. It's pure insanity, pure insanity. But they were preparing to endure what is coming. And the tension, the reason why I ask, how are we enduring today, is because I think some of us think that we can just strong-arm it through our difficulty today. I can strong-arm it through this marriage. I can strong-arm it through this relationship. And I don't think strong-arming is going to make us through the book of Revelation. I think the constant 
plagues and the bowls and the cups are, are going to reveal in us like where our heart stands. So in our suffering today, are we applying biblical truth to where we're at? I mean, the verse just says here, here is a call for the endurance of the saints. Are we keeping the commandments in our suffering? Are we anchored in the faith, our faith in Jesus Christ in our suffering? We as Christians don't live like other people who say, because he did, I get to. We say, because he did, I need Jesus. And I'm going to treat you like no one else would treat you. How are we doing in our suffering today? There's so many trials and tragedies on this earth, right? But even death is defeated in Christ. Death, where is your sting? It says in 1 Corinthians. And here you see in Revelation chapter 14, verse 13, it says this. In this time, right, the context is here in Revelation, in this vision of John. It says this, and I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this. Blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them, for their fruit follows them. There's this issue that even as the beasts are unleashed and they go out and they do their things and this torment and trial is pouring over the earth, the believer who's caught up in it and dies, they're with Jesus. They're with Jesus. Nothing changes in that. Like even if we face the most difficult, strenuous times, or maybe we're even impacted by a crime where our life is taken, boom, the believer's with the Lord. When they are apart from the body, they are with the Lord. And there's this call for us to endure. I would argue that in many ways our faith doesn't necessarily change as we enter this time of what the book of Revelation is talking about. We still need faith in Jesus. If we're impacted by the evil and sin of the world, we still get Jesus as believers in Christ. It continuously, he wins. He continuously wins. Even if we die, we'll be at peace. Again, reading that verse, it says this at the end. Blessed indeed, says the Spirit, that they may rest from their labors, for their deeds follow them. There's this picture of evil coming into the world or evil overtaking the world seemingly, right? And a Christian being caught or destroyed by it. And there's a picture of God says, I've seen your faith. I've seen you be faithful. God's not going to forget your belief. God's not going to forget, like Jordan said so well last week, that he saved you, that he put his Holy Spirit inside you. That he began to transform you. He started at the heart and he changed what your hands did and what your minds thought and what your mouth said. He's not going to forget those things that he's done. He's going to be faithful to the end and there will be peace. The same peace. Jesus says, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And I think he's calling us as Christians who are stressed out and anxious to like, hey, trust me. I've got the future in my hands. It's good. And he beckons us on Mondays to just come to him, like give your anxiety, give your ang- fear, give your children over to him. And in the end times, when, if we literally go to him, he's going to be like, here's peace. You're with me. And that's some of the hope, that's some of the hope that John beckons us to consider as we read these things. So let's go back to the beginning here and talk about it, okay? So last week, if you remember, thanks for coming out to Casino, by the way. It was awesome. Uh, you guys really, the church definitely makes a place awesome. And it was awesome to worship something different. But Jordan really hammered it out. I mean, in, in, in a very short way, he just described, as the text does, this false trinity that the, that the world offers, right? There's this beast, there's another beast, a prophet, and he's going to be out messing things up, just to put it lightly. Right? 666, he falls short in every single category. He doesn't meet the mark. And he's going to sell you a bit of goods that God offers you in completion. He's going to sell it short. He offers you eternal security. I'll give you security for tonight. He offers you eternal love. I'll give you love for a few hours. It'll be great. 
He offers to take your burdens and your anxieties onto him. Satan says, well, we can nuke this for a few hours. Let's just drink. It'll be fun. We'll blow our minds. And he continues to sell this short message of peace and hope and love. It's so small and minuscule. And Jordan walked us through that. But it's interesting, though, as we see here, we see multiple layers happening at the same time. And John is over here getting this view of this. And then John's called over here and he gets this view of this. And you're like, whoa, all this stuff is happening at the same time. And again, as the beast is out doing his thing, you can look back at chapter 13. I'll cheat and just use headers in my Bible. You have the second beast. You have the first beast. Before that, you have the woman and the dragon. Well, all this stuff is going on. He all of a sudden is taken back, and behold, he looks, right? So let's look at Revelation chapter 14, verse 1. It says this, and I looked, and behold, on Mount Zion, the Lamb. And with him were 144,000. Who had his name and his father's name written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the roar of many waters and like the sound of loud thunder. And the voice I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they were singing a new song before the throne and before the living creatures and before the elders. No one could learn that song except the 144,000 who had been redeemed from the earth, who had been purchased from the earth. It is these who have not defiled themselves with women, for they are virgins. It is these who follow the Lamb wherever he goes. These have been redeemed from mankind as firstfruits for God and the Lamb. And in their mouth no lie was found, for they were blameless. So we see a lot of imagery coming right out at the gate here. It's hard to believe this is one of the less argued chapters in the book of Revelation. But uh, this imagery is there. And you see, like, constantly as the beast is just out doing his thing, unleashing his thing, deceiving, distracting, destroying, God is standing. Mount Zion. It's his hill. You see Jesus, this picture of Jesus up there. Like authority, power. I like to watch videos on YouTube about people who bicycle tour. I know it's probably weird to you. I love it. But anyways, I'm watching this couple, and they're traveling across Europe. And one thing Europe has that we don't have is castles. And so they're bicycle touring, documenting it on YouTube. You should check it out sometime. And there's castles all over the place. So much history in Europe, right? And you never see a castle like in the bowl of a valley. You see the castle standing in stone with awesome structures like up on a hill. It can see what's coming. It can see what's out there. It's, it's ready. Who can charge the hill? And Jesus is on top of the hill, his hill, Mount Zion, with his worshipers, 144,000 people, martyrs, and other saints. You can read about that again in Revelation chapter 7 if you'd like. But he's up there and he's being worshipped, right? All this chaos around him and Jesus is doing okay. All the chaos in your life and Jesus is doing okay, perhaps worth reaching out to, perhaps worth worshiping, okay? And you see him there. John is looking up as he's going from one scene to the next, and there's King Jesus standing, being worshipped by the 144,000. It's interesting that these 144,000 have this mark of Jesus and his father. And I don't know about you, but something that I have learned this series uh, in Revelation is this mark of the Father. Now, I don't know about you who have at least three crazy people on your Facebook social media feed who are always talking about the beast, the beast, the beast, the beast, the beast. Watch out for the mark. Watch out for the mark, the chip, all the things, right? Are any of you worried about the mark of Jesus? Are you marked with Jesus? Are we marked with the Father? And, and Jordan said it again so well last week, right? The elect aren't going to be taken by the beast. They might be tormented by the beast, but death, where is your sting? And here you see these people, and what are they marked by? They're marked by Jesus, and they're marked by the Father. No one talks about that. And honestly, I just learned it. I've never seen that. It's three times in Revelation. It talks about this mark of a Christian, that we are followers of Jesus Christ. We are imitators of who he is. And this mighty multitude is marked by that. 
They're marked by God. Are you marked by the Lamb and by the Lord as a Christian? And these guys are playing harps and singing a song unlike anyone can sing. And it's like this song of experience that they're singing. Some of you have been to the Grand Canyon. Who's been to the Grand Canyon? All right. I'm surprised. That's a lot of you. And you can describe the Grand Canyon in a way that I can't because you've been there. These people have experienced the grace of God. This is what I would argue when it says, like, there's a song that no one can sing. This, this, this song we can't sing because we haven't experienced God's grace like that. We can't worship like that. So when I think about the Grand Canyon, I can tell you what I've seen in pictures. It's big. It looks fantastic. And some of you are like, you, haven't, you cannot imagine how big it is. You cannot imagine the colors that are across this canyon. And I'm like, Wow. I want to see it. And these guys have experienced the grace of God. Some of them have faced the suffering. Some of these are martyrs. And they've faced the suffering. They've stood for their faith. And they've lost their life. And they were with Jesus. And they're like, I'm worshiping. I have seen his promises fulfilled. And they're worshiping him. And that's the song. And then it talks about this sexual immorality that happened. And this is what sets saints apart. I don't think he's talking here specifically about sexual immorality. I think he's talking about the perversion, the idolatry. If you look at Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, it talks about idolatry like this. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you? Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. The saints are God worshipers. They're not distracted by the perversions that the world has to offer, of one of which is sexual immorality. The beast, the devil, our hard hearts say, you know what, God's not providing for me someone right now, and that person's hot, so I'm going to make this work. Rather than waiting on the Lord, we choose a shortcut. Okay, like your sex outside of marriage doesn't knock God off his throne. He's fine. But what it does say is you're not a provider. You don't know my needs. I will do it my way. Okay? And so there's this issue, there's this perversion that comes. And these people have not dabbled in the temporary trappings of this world. They've clung to the Lord even into death. And it's interesting, they followed him on earth and they follow him everywhere around in heaven. They followed the lamb where he went. Right? And this is where it doesn't change for us who are Christians. Like if you're a God follower, Christianity isn't about just the morality. Christianity, I would argue, is about following God. Do you follow him or you just try not to do bad stuff? And a lot of us try not to do bad stuff and we're, we kind of are okay at it, but we don't do anything about following Jesus. And these people fulfill it on earth by not being caught up in the temporary trappings of this world. And then they follow him in heaven. They're like, hey, there he is. That my whole life I have longed to worship Jesus. Bloop, here I am, Jesus, let's worship. You're awesome. I have experienced suffering and hardship, and I want to worship you because you're worthy of praise. You saw me through. And they follow him around. And they worship him. They praise him. They glorify him. All right? And then, then we see another shift here. Let's go to verse 6. Then I saw another angel flying directly overhead, kind of like mid-heaven, with an eternal gospel to proclaim to those who dwell on the earth, to every nation and tribe and language and people. And he said with a loud voice, fear God and give him glory because the hour of his judgment has come and, the, and worship him who made heaven and earth, the sea and the springs of water. You see this picture again of an angel I don't know if we'll actually see the angel. I think we might because it's mid, he points out where he is and he's proclaiming this gospel kind of like one last time. Like, listen, you guys, there's a creator. Be reconciled to the creator. Be reconciled. He created everything. He is worthy of praise. Nothing existed outside him. Nothing was made without him. Worship him. He demands worship. He's worthy of worship. Worship the creator. Be reconciled to God. Treasure God. Don't, don't fall short. 
But there's this part two where it's, I don't know if this is necessarily a call necessarily in the gospel, but it's a declaration of the fact that the gospel is going to come to fruition here. There's the saving work of Jesus Christ that is represented in the gospel, and there's a reality that there's a reality for those who are not saved. There's a reality in the gospel that says, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, which is true and real today. It's another warning to those of you who may not believe today to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, but there's a reality at a time and a place it will come when judgment comes. The line's in the sand. And this angel unleashes this, okay? You see it there at the end of the verse. Fear God. Give him glory. Because the hour of his judgment has come. It's, it's now. Like in this time in Revelation, like it's here. Okay? It's happening. All right? Give him glory. For his judgment has come. He's worthy of praise too. And the reality is at that time, many will not have feared the Lord. We walk about like we have a creator God and we're like, whatever. No big deal. You know that grass that you get tired of mowing by June? Those little threads that take light from the sun 93 million miles away and make food and energy from it? Like, that's, that's a creator God in action. The heavens, they're declaring the glory of God. They're proclaiming there's something bigger. There's something bigger. And then we have through the scriptures an opportunity to know him. And he makes demands because he can make demands because he's creator. And we realize I can't follow those commands. And then he sends Jesus so we can know him and follow him. We should be be in awe of him, motivated both by his awesome power but by his awesome love that he displayed. That something so big, so grand would want a relationship with us. But yet many of us, like Romans 9, we're like the pot and we're looking at the potter saying, hey, you screwed up. Why'd you make me like this? Why'd you stick me in Iowa? I wanted to be able to play guitar and sing like Danny. I can't. You screwed up. I wanted to marry that person. I wanted to have that life. I wanted to have these kids. I wanted to have kids. You, you, you made a mistake. And there's a reality in this context of revelation that many will not have feared the Lord. They'll just do whatever they do. And all of a sudden, boom, we've got this other angel. Verse 8, another angel, a second, following, saying, followed, saying, Fallen, fallen is Babylon the great. And she who made all nations drink the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality. It's interesting as I studied this, when you think about it, Babylon is the nation that took the Israelites, the first covenant people. There was this God beckoning the Israel, like, come back to me, come back to me, come back to me. I brought you out of Egypt. We crossed the Red Sea. I gave you bread in the wilderness. I gave you meat. I gave you water. And they're like, nope, nope, nope. I want a king. I want a leader. I want this. I want that. And God gives, and God gives, and God gives, and God says, enough. And God raises up Babylon, and Babylon takes Israel and hauls them away. Remember the story of Daniel? They're hauled to Babylon, right? And here you have this picture, this image of this perversion of a country, of a kingdom that deceives and distracts and just titillates you with these little things, temporary pleasures. And this is the picture. And it doesn't win in this second covenant. It's allowed and it stops. And you see in verse 8, fallen, fallen is Babylon. The great, she who made all the nations drink the wine of passions of her sexual immorality, all these temporal things. When God has said, here I am, trust me. And Babylon says, or you can have this option for just $9.99. It'll be simple. It'll be easy. We can deliver it to your door. It'll be fun. And we've settled. Babylon doesn't win. 
It doesn't win. It's this picture, again, that 144,000 people, they at one point lived on the earth. They had experienced Babylon teasing and tempting, but they didn't buy in. Babylon is here now, and it's tempting and teasing you. Are you buying in to Babylon? Don't drink of her wine. Let's go to verse 9. Another angel, a third, followed, saying in a loud voice, If anyone worships the beast and its image and receives a mark on his forehead or on his hand, he also will drink the wine of God's wrath, poured full strength into a cup of his anger, and he will be tormented with fire and sulfur in the presence of the holy angels and the presence of the Lamb. And the smoke of their torment goes up forever and ever, and they have no rest day or night. These worshipers of the beast... And its image, and whoever receives the mark of his name. There's no room for those who dabble in Babylon. There's no room, like there's this picture of us pushing God back and pushing God back, and God says, Enough. Enough. God's going to win. Trust in him. Hope in him. He's created all things. He's addressed sin. He's made a way for salvation. And now he crushes the enemies. Crushes those who see the beautiful sunrise and say, Nope, I'm going to live my way today. I'm going to do my things today. I'm going to enjoy me. And realistically, this place is called hell. There is a hell. It exists. It is eternal. It seems like at different seasons there are waves of theology and question. And I think in the last six months, I've gotten at least three emails about, God doesn't want us to suffer forever. That's not what this says, the forever and ever part here. It's not about whether you drank the drink or whether you stole the candy bar. It's about who you offended. When I say I need this candy bar, I want this candy bar, I'm starving. And God says, you're okay. I've got food for you. It's not the candy bar that's the offense. It's the fact I reject his care for me. And you can see how that plays out in a million different areas. And here in this time, there's this issue, especially in relation to the mark of the beast. You can't follow the beast and Jesus. The two don't correlate. You can't have your way and God's way. It must be his. And God's going to pour out the whole cup of his wrath. Back in the day, the wine would be watered down so you could extend its life. So it would last longer for more celebration. And God's going to, it's pure, 100%. I'm pouring it out. He can do that because he's holy and he's just. God will address the evil in our world. It is coming. Let's go to verse 12. Here you talk about the endurance of the saints. Like look at what God has done. Look at what God has saved you from. Those who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. And I heard a voice from heaven saying, write this, blessed are the dead who die in the Lord from now on. Blessed indeed, it says the spirit, that they may rest from their labors for their deeds will follow them. All these saints who are on the earth and they're struggling, this beast is distracting and he's ramping it up and it isn't comfortable. But these saints are enduring. They're following Jesus. They're praying to Jesus. They're in their word. They're being kind to one another. They're serving one another. They're being the church, living in community to one another. God, that's not going to be null and void. God sees them. And even if they perish, God says, I've got peace. It's going to be outside this world. They have hope in him. It's almost like knowing the end of the basketball game before it starts. I don't watch tons of football but I watched the little 10-minute recap of the game. And sometimes, in stressful games, I might scroll my mouse over YouTube just to see what the end says so that I can watch the highlights with less stress. And folks, on a much more serious level, this is the highlights. 
we've said this a lot in this series. We, we know the end. And as all the chaos is going on in the world, we need to lean into Jesus. We need to endure by faith. We need to obey by faith in who he is. Let's go to verse 14. And there's this other, this picture. Here we're at another angle here. Then I looked and behold a white cloud and seated on the cloud, one like the son of a man with a golden crown on his head and a sharp sickle in his hand. And another angel came out of the temple, calling with a loud voice to him who sat in the cloud, Pick up your sickle and reap, for the hour is come, or the hour has come, for the harvest of the earth is fully ripe. So he who sat on the cloud swung his sickle across the earth, and the earth was reaped. I would argue that you see Jesus, right? He's moved from standing and being worshipped to sitting on a cloud. And they're waiting and they're watching. Like, this isn't accidental, it isn't like, oh man, the beast is getting bad. Oh boy, when are we going? When are we going? When are we going? It's like, I've got this. I'm waiting. Father from the temple says, tells the messenger or the angel, go get him. Angel comes out like, go. And Jesus is like, boom. Seems like the easiest reaping process ever. But this is our king. He's been prepared for this. He's been waiting for his saints to be brought to him. This is why he died. You know, that he could glorify God in rescuing a people for himself, rescuing a creation for himself. And he goes and he reaps and he gains them, he gathers them. In verse 17, like notice again, the beast, like there's no like, oh crud, he's over there. So we got to go this way. It's like, no, I will dominate. And he does. This is our God. Okay, then verse 17, then another angel comes out of the temple in heaven. And he too has a sharp sickle. And another angel came out from the altar, the angel who has authority over the fire. And he called with a loud voice to the one who had a sharp sickle. Put in your sickle and gather the clusters from the vine of the earth. For the grapes are ripe. So the angel swung his sickle across the earth and gathered the grapes of, grape harvest of the earth. And threw it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. And the winepress was trodden outside the city. And blood flowed from the wine press as high as a horse's bridle for 184 miles. And you're like, why did I invite my friend to church today? I mean, like, let's, let's talk about this, right? We're not running from Satan. You're, you aren't running from Satan. Are you reconciled to God? Are you reconciled to God? The beast has no impact on Yahweh. The great prostitute, there's some stuff coming. I shouldn't get there. It, it doesn't have any impact on him. He unleashes, he gathers, he puts away. This is our God. Right? And it's like love amplifies wrath. It's one thing to watch the news these days and be like, man, I'm against murder. I'm really tired of murder. But when love gets involved, it, it goes up. If my children are murdered, my wrath goes through the roof. And you have God who has created, God who has knit people together in their mother's womb. God who has given grace abundantly. I don't know, how many of you are reading the Bible reading plan? Anyone? All right, in the Bible reading plan, we just got done with numbers. And the book of numbers is full of whining and complaining. God gives, and they're like, oh, we want this. God gives, and we're like, well, we wanted that. Just continuously, and God's like, I brought you out of Egypt. I crossed the Red Sea with you. Worship me, worship me, worship me. And the people are like, no, no, no. And God destroys some of them. Then this is the destruction of the new covenant. That I have continuously thumbed my face at God. Our culture has continuously thumbed their face at God. And God's wrath is coming. It's coming. And this is a plea to you to consider it. Are you marked by the Lamb and the Father? Do you cling to Him? Are you practicing your faith? We continuously reject God's grace and His mercy. 
And let's face it, for many of us, it's easy not to worship the devil, but we sure like the things he likes. None of you are in here chasing after a a red guy with a horns and a tail. But you like a lot of the same things that he likes. And God doesn't tolerate that. The creation is proclaiming a creator. The heavens are declaring the glory of God. And all around you, there are image bearers of God. And some of you are saved and you're like, praise the Lord for this sunrise. Praise the Lord for my son or for the people, my neighbors. And some are like, meh, who cares? How can I live today? How can I survive today? and will not accept the fact that Jesus Christ was marched outside the city and it was crushed for them. Therefore, they will be marched outside of the city and they will be crushed. The gospel, like Jesus Christ, this is what humbles us as Christians. We're not out there touting like, this is my end times eschatology. These are my politics. We're humbled by the fact that I deserve this death. And Christ did it for me. I deserve the cross. And Christ died in my place. He who was innocent died for this guy who is so wicked. I deserve that, but some will not accept that fact that Jesus Christ died for you. And you will die for you. And he will do it justly, and he will do it perfectly. He loves his name. He loves his fame. I don't know if you struggle with that, but there's a problem if God doesn't love himself. If God says, I really love that star, I feel like all of us should love the star. Does that make sense? If God said, you know, I really like this dinosaur, I feel like all of us should like the dinosaur. If the most powerful being in the universe for eternity says, I'm about that, we should be like, I should, we should probably be about that too. And he is about himself. He's the only one who can perfectly do that. And we continuously walk through earth saying like, I'm about me. I'm about my schedule. I'm about my retirement. I'm about my free time. I'm about my comfort. We profane God. And the world has actively been doing it. They've been living in Babylon, enjoying the temporary trappings of this world. And and there's a judgment coming. And it is eternal. And it is damning. And it is real. I think a lot of us struggle with this because we don't know what sin is. I hear so often as a pastor, like, hey, I, I try to follow the Ten Commandments. And when you bring up the first commandment, it says you should love the Lord your God, right? No, no other gods before you. And you're like, well, that, okay, let's go. I haven't murdered anybody. And you're like, you're missing the most offensive one there is. And like for me, most of my life, I spent all my teen years solely doing good so my parents wouldn't get mad at me. That's not a good reason to do good. It wasn't so much about not getting drunk for the glory of God and trusting and relying on his spirit. It was about, my dad will kill me. I live in a little town of climax. The rumors will spread like wildfire. Morgan, a Morgan boy got drunk? Their grandpa's probably turning in his grave. That's not a good reason to do good. And I think a lot of us come and we're like, well, I haven't gotten drunk and I haven't murdered anybody. I'm doing good on the murder one. That Celebrate me. Woo! All right? And I don't, I haven't committed adultery. Praise God. It's a real thing. But I think we come in and we think we're pretty good. And there's all this time, like we walk around the block and we say, look at what I've done. And God says, have you? Did you knit together your legs? Did you give yourself two legs? Did you say to your mother, mom, I want that little tube in my ear so I can balance and you did nothing. God was at work. And we steal glory all the time. First Corinthians 10.31 says, And whatever you do, whether you eat or drink, do it all for the glory of God. Or Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. 
And we and the world go through life and saying, like, I'm not that bad. You're talking about crushing us and this blood. You're talking, and we're like, we don't understand his holiness and we don't understand our sin. And to us who are being saved or who have been saved, we should be in awe of that. What have I done that deserves this? And I've done nothing. And God has been gracious and kind. We ought to be a body that's motivated by grace. We ought to do the right things for the right reasons. But we live in an area like Babylon. There's temptation. Sure, there's no beast that we can realize as of yet. The beasts haven't been unleashed for their periods of time. But there's sure a lot of distractions out there. And kids, you guys in this room, it's for you as well. There's a lot of distractions out there, and God is calling you and us as adults to holiness. No one gets out and says, God, I was just 13. The the truth remains the same whether you're 6 or whether you're 90. There's a lot of distractions. Babylon is creeping at our doors and just try this. It'll be great. It'll be fun. You can get right with God later. You can just delay, delay, delay. Have fun. Enjoy yourself. Think about you. And there's a time coming, students and adults, where this will not be. The line is drawn. The judgment has come. Wake up. And as Babylon creeps in and whispers these things to us, we need to remember to endure. Remember to endure. I have a friend who runs marathons, and he says the hardest miles are like mile 20 to 22, where he just feels like death. I'd be like, I get that. I get up from my couch and walk to my bedroom, and I feel like death. Not quite that bad. Winter body, you know. Um, But that time where it's just so hard, and the call is to endure. Endure, be obedient. Here's our big idea. Endure all things by exercising, by practicing your faith in Jesus Christ. Endure all things. In the time of revelation, in this context, it's going to be intense. But some of us are failing right now, and it isn't that bad ultimately. We're lashing out at our children or at our spouse. We're lashing out. We're worrying. We're whining. We're complaining. And yet God is seated on his throne, unaffected by our elections, unaffected by our economy, king of all. And that's who our hope is in, right? But in our showing of our lack of endurance, we're showing we we hoped in our marriage. This was going to save me. We hoped in these relationships. We hoped in this hobby. And God has said, hope in me. Endure all things by exercising your faith in Jesus Christ. I'm over time, so I want to jump to these last verses here. It doesn't just end for us. It doesn't just end. It doesn't just get here. Just like, endure. There's this celebration that's coming. And just like this text started with a song, it ends with a song. So let's go to Revelation chapter 15, verse 1. It says this, then I saw another sign in heaven, right? So we're, boom, we're jumping over here. Great and amazing. Seven angels with seven plagues, which are, are the last. Praise the Lord. For with them the wrath of God is finished. And I saw what appeared to be a sea of glass mingled with fire. And also those who had conquered the beast and its image and the number of the saints standing beside the sea of glass with harps. Like this group from the beginning of 14, they're there. Following the lamb, that's what we do. Follow the lamb all my life as a Christian. Here I am present with the lamb. Where is he? I'm going. And what do I do? I worship him because he's awesome. Right? And they sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the lamb saying, Great and amazing are your deeds, O Lord, the Almighty. Just and true are your ways, O King of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. There's this ending song of worship that God has justly, if anyone can justly, 
judge like this, it is God who makes no mistakes. It is God who is holy. When I try to judge, even when I try to discipline my sons, I know inside me there's a temptation to be easier, a temptation to be unfair, or I just don't know. Well, God knows. And God is just. And I think for some of you who are probably here saying, like, here's a church talking about hell. We're all going to get judged. Like, what do you need? The heavens are declaring the glory of God. Like, there's this offer here saying, come and worship him. He's worthy of a praise. And you're like, no, I want to do my own thing. Well, here's a warning. There's a judgment coming. Come and worship the king. Surrender, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. Give up Babylon. Give up. Give up the sex. Give up the drinking. Give up the lies. Come believe. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. None of us in here want to go to hell. We get that. But few of us want to follow Jesus. And there's a God who is present and active in Urbana and the surrounding communities who beckons the lost to himself. Nothing can stop his hand and no one can say to him, what are you doing? Praise Lord. And there's a reality of judgment. What does this do to us as the church if we don't ever tell you about this? I had a friend, Danae, who went to college with a bunch of Christians and then got saved later. And they never told her about Jesus. And she said, in a testimony time, she said, I was so angry at them. Did they not realize what was at stake? This judgment that I could have faced, let alone that I get to walk with Jesus? And when I'm struggling with my kids, I get to hope in Jesus. And when I'm struggling with my marriage, I get to hope in Jesus now? I didn't know any of that. There's hope in Jesus. We need to tell our friends about who he is. God is great and almighty. Just and true are his ways. He's the king of the nations. Who will not fear, O Lord, and glorify your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship you. Like China, that's no big deal. At one point, all knees will bow. You'll either bow in submission out of humility because you've been wrecked by the realization that I deserve wrath and Christ took it, or you will bow because you'll realize, well, dang, I was wrong. And that won't be a humbling, reconciling bowing. That will be a plain realization of like, oh, I missed it. I rejected it. Come. Come bow, come worship. Church, we can't lose and we don't. Let us endure. Let us not live like people that are dominated by suffering and trial, but let us endure all trials by being obedient and anchored in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Whether it be for now or for the end times, prepare yourself for the end times by being anchored in your faith. We're gonna get to a time of communion here. And this is literally a celebration of what Jesus Christ did. Matthew Morkin deserves the bowl of the wrath of God. I was a religious guy for most of my life. I attended church every time the doors were open. I would have told you all all the wrong things you ever did. And I would have ignored all my own problems. Pharisee. (coughs) Excuse me. It's a very wicked spot to be in. Like my friends who struggled with alcohol or partied hard, at some point they're like, this is getting a little crazy. I mean, I'm not just losing Friday and Saturday. I'm kind of losing up until Monday. They're like, something's wrong here. I was like, I'm righteous. I am better than you. Oh, that was so wicked. And I hid my sin. I covered it up. I laughed at those who went out on Friday night or on St. Patty's Day and did their thing. Because I was better. And I was deeply deceived. There's a reality that sin deserves punishment. Or God isn't loving. If God is just, justice has two sides. 
God's been abundantly grace, gracious to us, but he will pour out wrath. And so perhaps I add to this, or perhaps I warn you beforehand, like, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Walk in faith. Treasure God. And when we come to this too, we recognize that I deserve the wrath of God to be crushed and that my blood to be spilt for my sin. The wages of sin is death. But Jesus Christ paid it all. Jesus Christ paid for my sin. Whether you're 10 or whether you're 15 or whether you're 19 or whether you're 40 or whether you're 60 or whether you're 90, wherever you fit. We come in humility. Like if you think you've figured it out, like, hey, I figured it out. Okay, and I'm going to go celebrate Jesus. You're, you shouldn't sit. Stay seated. Please be aware of the warning for those who take communion and shouldn't. But come and celebrate what I deserved and what Jesus paid for. Let's pray. God, you are awesome. You are awesome in love. You are awesome in power. God, you are awesome in wrath. You are awesome in justice. You are awesome in hope. Um, God, and I just pray for that, for, the, for these people, God, for Veritas, Lord, that those who believe in Jesus Christ would hope in their faith, God, that they would recognize what they deserved, and they would rejoice in the finished work of Jesus Christ, God, both this week and in end times to come. Preserve and protect, God, and for anyone in this room who doesn't know you or doesn't believe, Lord, I pray that you'd fill them at least with a boldness to come and ask questions. Questions are a good place to start. God, but I pray that you would open their eyes, that you would open their ears to hear the hope of the gospel of Jesus Christ. That Jesus Christ took the wrath of God for those who would believe in him. God, I pray that many might come out of today desiring to follow Jesus, desiring to give up their life for Jesus. Do a great work. God, send us out today as everyday missionaries, God, with the urgency to proclaim the goodness and power and love of God to our neighbors and that we might see our county, our state, our nation changed in the name of God, for God. Get glory. Amen.